0: It takes two. I thought one was enough. It's not true. It takes two of you.
1: Just
2: the two us. It takes two. Hello and welcome to It Takes Two, a podcast by the Village Conservatory for Music Theatre. I am your executive producer. I added the executive to my title because I wanted to be fancy, Daphne Finlayson. So this is the podcast where we sit down with two amazing artists from across Canada who have been paired up in a four-week mentorship process. During the course of that process, these two artists will be discussing their creative practice, what makes them tick as artists, and creating something together. Stay tuned on our social media channels, particularly Instagram and YouTube, for a look at what these wonderful artists are going to create together. Joining me today is moderator Simon Miron, as well as our two guinea pig artists in this, the first episode of It Takes Two, Jacob Jansen and Kevin Giswino.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to the It Takes Two podcast. My name is Simon Miron, and uh, I'm just hosting this wonderful conversation between two lovely artists that we've had the pleasure to get to know and uh i hope uh you enjoy getting to know them over the next little while if you wouldn't mind uh would you introduce yourselves uh and just kind of maybe say a little bit about uh what you've been up to
3: hi uh my name is jacob jansen uh they them pronouns is what i go by and for the past month or so i've been working with kevin the lovely and beautiful and sweet and many more adjectives, Kevin, on working on ways to expand my repertoire and vocabulary of things to help me create performance pieces and also visual pieces. Cause I kind of try to dabble between what the line is between a performance and what is a visual piece of art and what both is entertaining and is a big spectacle. And is also kind of just nice to look at and you want to like put on the wall or like in the middle of a nice gallery. I learned a lot from kevin about mindfulness and just intuitive living and just thinking about what my body wants what my heart wants and what my mind wants while i'm either creating or kind of just living does that sound about accurate kevin
0: yeah 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 my name is kevin jesuino and i, I use he him pronouns and i also got to connect with this lovely beautiful sweet human named jacob And I think this was a two-way street. I think I learned how to uh, lean into the unknown a bit more, to remind myself what queer mentorship feels like. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think there was a lot of learning on both sides.
1: Thanks. That was uh, really wonderful. Um, I've got a bunch of sweet little questions, but uh, I'm going to go on a tangent already because I'm really interested in hearing more about what what you mean by uh, queer mentorship. I think that that's a a really important thing that uh, I think uh, our listeners might like to hear you elaborate on.
0: It's funny because immediately when you say that, I feel this void in my backside. Mm. I feel a complete emptiness in my backside but I feel a compel or magnetism in my front side. And I think that that has to do with me not having queer mentors in the arts growing up. I grew up in Edmonton. I will say that there was a queer theatre artist around named Darren Hagen, who I admired and appreciated, but I saw as... Uh, at that time, in my limited capacity as a theater artist to see beyond interdisciplinary work um, or disciplinary work rather, I, I saw Darren as this like, as a drag queen and a playwright, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. Over the years, I've learned to know that they do a lot more than just that. They do sound design, they you know, they lots lots and lots of stuff. But I also didn't request their mentorship at that time either. And, you know, as I grew up as an artist and started doing my own thing, I also recognized that it wasn't just about making queer content, it was also uh, i.e. drag or stories about coming out or, you know, my, my, my life as a gay person, you know but also thinking about what does queering performance look like. Mm-hmm. And that took me into the world of interdisciplinary work and the work of like work that isn't here to entertain you. It's actually to explore something about humanity, to to consider all potential and all possibilities of what performance could look like. For those of you listening, I'm, I grew up in Alberta, currently in Musqueam Squamish, uh, Sailor Tooth Territory, also known as Vancouver. I've been building in the past few years some mentorship around that you know and so when when you all came to call I was very excited to be to have the tables flipped and be like wow I'm doing this for someone I'm mentoring someone the way that I could have been mentored and so I thought about what I needed to be told as a young theater artist for those of you also listening that Simon and I have a history. We go back to like <laughs> early 2000s in a musical theater program that has its own like structure and limitations of like what theater looks like, you know? Yeah. And and I, and I, but also gave me foundation for my interdisciplinariness, mm-hmm. you know, singing, dancing, performing, acting. Do you know what I mean? So I wanted to be told back then that you can decide what theater looks like. Mm-hmm. You also don't need to be producing scripts from people that you don't even have a relationship with yeah you can do that if that's the type of work you want to do but you can also go and make it yourself you also don't have to sit in front of a computer to type words out you can improvise with your body you can also create structures in a performance that can be improvised you can also be working at the interface of the public being the subject of the work and not you putting yourself in front of a public and telling a story. So like there's many, you can present work outside of a theater, you know, theater, performance can be in a gallery. Visual art can turn into performance performance can turn into all of these things. I wanted to be, I wanted to be told when I was younger and I didn't, I wasn't told that. And so I took this opportunity to like, you know, say those things to Jacob Mm And not only say them, but move them through something that could give them a taste of what this could become, what could it, it could be.
1: Well, it's interesting that you're speaking about a lot of uh, things that ring really true for uh, our organization without putting on my little village conservatory cap on. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting considering you and I have some wonderful shared experiences from the past that led us into a similar path in a way Mm -hmm. that like a lot of what you're sharing fueled the sort of what the village conservatives turned into and uh, which has kind of led us to this beautiful moment so jacob Mm -hmm. what in hearing all these things that kevin shared Mm -hmm. as as the person that kevin worked with as as a person um coming through into this mentorship What sort of expectations did you have going in?
3: I had a lot of expectations of just like, there's, there's two ways I kind of like to approach stuff like this is I like to both go in with like, okay, I want to, I want to be transformed in my practice. And I also want to just learn more about myself and the world around me and how I feel and learning how to like reclaim space, which is something that I've been doing a lot in my work as an artist, as a queer person. Um, And just with a lot of my lived experiences, but also just I like to go into a lot of experiences with not no expectations, but kind of just like with my heart and with my stomach open to kind of digesting everything that comes in no matter what in like a safe way, obviously, like I'm not just gonna go into some room and let some person spout horrible, toxic, (laughs) loony nonsense at me. (laughs) At that point, I will sew my stomach shut, walk out the door and write a lovely tweet about it being like, don't do this. Um, but I walked in. Yeah, it was kind of, it was a lot of just like, this is what I hope to kind of learn. And also just that excitement of, I have no idea what I'm going to learn. This is super, super cool. Let's do this. Let's just throw ourselves into the work and see what happens.
1: So what led you to, to Kevin?
3: Many things. When I was first thinking about who I wanted, um, the biggest thing for me was a queer mentor. Because mm-hmm. I also, so I was thinking about this while Kevin was talking to, I didn't really have many queer mentors growing up and going through university. I grew up in um, both in Winnipeg, but also in um, Surrey, British Columbia, um, which at the time where I, in the area I lived was not the best place to really raise a child. I had a single mother, and so I didn't really, who was amazing and taught me so much about the world. Shout out to Rebecca. Um, but the area we lived in, I kind of never, except for like going to and from school, I never left the condo. I never left our front kind of area. So I spent a lot of my time just imagining about the world and just seeing queerness on TV and seeing queerness in every bit of media I could. And that kind of filtered throughout university and high school. And I, I watched people kind of coming into their own queerness, but I never, I never really knew how to come into my own. I remember like my coming out and my realization was just being like, "Oh, that man is really cute." Okay, this makes sense now. Perfect. <laughs> and I was kind of like, "Is that it?" And so I, I never, I never knew. And then it wasn't until like third year university when I met Brian Drader, who I believe is he's teaching at UW still. I th- he's oh I don't want to butcher his title. Direct executive director. We're going to call him that tentatively. I believe that's what he is at Manitoba Association Association for Playwrights and getting to see like an openly gay late 50s man was like mind blowing to me. And I was like, I need more of this. I need more of queer elders and just queer adults in my life who just get to live their experience. That was the biggest thing that drew me. There was also just a hole figuratively and literally in my chest because when I was applying um, for this mentorship, I was actually in the waiting room of Grey Nuns Hospital in Edmonton. Oh, I had been working out there and I had torn the muscles over my heart. Oh. And so I know it was awful. Oh my. And I like I got rushed to the hospital. I had to rush home from this like month long business trip. Everything was in a tizzy. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to... It was a really casual waiting room. Like Everyone was like, oh, good to see you. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you at the barbecue. Oh, no. And there was a lady behind me who had been there for eight hours. And my my coworker's was like, oh, do you want to fly home tonight? And I was like, I don't think that's going to be a possibility. <laughs> yeah. But good try. And I remember I was sitting there and I was like, okay theater artists, theater artists, theater artists. And I. the first thought that came to my mind was I had done a, a play reading back in 2020 in the kind of early stages of the pandemic of Grumple Stocks, a play mm. that Kevin had um, co-created. And I remember the night that we streamed it, the director, uh, Eric Ray, mm-hmm. said, oh, by the way, um, Kevin Jesuino, one of the playwrights, uh, is going to be watching and will talk to us at the end. And we were all like, oh, super cool. And I remember watching kevin talk and listening to kevin and there was just such a spark of joy and warmth in everything he was saying and also just like the way that he held himself and i remember that kind of like i was like yeah this makes sense and then i was and then like i was on the plane ride home and i was like oh edmonton alberta okay this is perfect so it was all kind of like a weird melange of coincidences that Led me to Kevin.
1: Well, that's kind of wonderful, Kevin. What is it? What does it feel like to hear that? To hear that this play that you wrote—it seems like a, a fair while ago, right? That that led to this wonderful moment that you're in right now. What is that like?
0: When that play, when uh, when Eric uh, Eric Ray who reached out to me to produce that play out in Winnipeg, I was just blown away because it made me it made me think how old is this play? Like we, we wrote this, we wrote this in 2005. And it just I was like, Whoa, we're now this is like the 50 at that time, I think it was the 15th anniversary, you know, and I was like, Whoa, that's wild. And then thinking about it made me think about my trajectory, what I was exploring in that play, which had to do a lot with like, our own faults, our faults being also our strengths Hmm. living amongst the city and the power structures and oppression and power systems that are at play in a, in a city or like in a state of, of some kind. And I remember rereading that script after 15 years and going, holy Toledo, like to think about where I've come where I thought to make theater was to like write a play and then put it up Mm -hmm. on, on stage. And now To think about, oh, like, what were the ways that I made that play? I made that play through improvisation, through Mm -hmm. drawing improvising writing and and then putting it together devising it without even knowing I was devising you know <laughs> and then to think about like w- the work I've been doing on a community level to address power structures and oppression and like on on you know like and to think about the correlations in that play so that was wild like just to reflect <laughs> on that but then you know um thank you Jacob for reminding me that you were even in that play because I think I forgot that <laughs> I forgot that you were in that play. Uh, And so that just brings us even closer to home. And I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's wonderful when you throw these pieces of art out into the world and you're like, yeah, we'll see you in 15 years. And then, (laughs) and then like in in 15 years, they end up like bringing people together. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super grateful, grateful for that. And for Eric for bringing us together also.
1: So I'll uh, come back to Jacob. What kind of discoveries do you feel like you made uh, during this process about yourself or even about Kevin? Oh, wow. One thing that I've really taken away from this whole experience is
3: using kind of body imagery in the way that I speak and the way that I kind of explain things helps ground me. I often have a hard time feeling the way i explain things is a valid way and so using using different body metaphors like opening my chest having a hole in a certain organ or um yeah like any of that is it's so nice because it kind of it relates all back to myself and i'm like oh yeah that is what i'm feeling okay i can 100 percent almost like relate to myself which is a weird way to put it I also find that working off of a working off of a drawing um, as a score rather than just text is something that I didn't realize was a lot easier for me and made a lot more sense. Um, when we were creating, at one point during the process, I had to create basically a big map of my body, I can show it to you after it's on my phone. It's incredible. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Um, and it was, I went to Michael's and got this like (laughs) 13, I think the, I think the total length of the piece of paper is like 13 feet (laughs) and I cut it in half and I bought two of them. So now I have like 19 and a half feet of paper sitting in my apartment that I'm so excited to use. But basically, it was like a big drawing of different metaphors and feelings of my body and the way that my body feels in a metaphorical sense and how it connects to either concepts or physical things that I've seen or imagined. Um, And so getting to work off that and just kind of picking and choosing from, and not just like, not just picking and choosing from what the images are, but how they're composed. Like I worked in, um, when I was drawing in my book, when we were researching the body, I worked primarily in pencil and marker. And then when I switched to this bigger form, I spent three days with um, a box of 64 crayons. (laughs) and also markers, and getting to getting to work in that way and just to feel out like what a marker feels like and what a crayon feels like when you're moving it across paper and then feeling how that line weight, the saturation of color feels in my body, like the way that, cause a marker is a, a lot more solid than when you have to spend a lot more time with a crayon. And so kind of finding that difference in the movement hmm. um, is super, super interesting and super exciting and I want to try that with so many, so many, so many more mediums. Like, I want to know what spray paint feels like. And I really want to know it. like, uh, pastels. I was really sad i never worked with pastels. <laughs> I remember thinking then on day one, I was like, let's do pastels. And then I forgot I <laughs> couldn't find them. And I was like, well, let's find something else. Cool. Um, yeah. So just, like, a lot of ways from the inside. And then also taking what I see visually and translating that to my physical landscape. Yeah. Ooh, that's a fun combination of two words.
1: That is a fun that's combination. A, ooh,
3: that's tasty. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's all about.
0: It's, it's great.
1: Yeah. Kevin, do you do you want to share any discoveries that you made uh, over this process?
0: I want to acknowledge that I gotta talk about past, present, and future here. So, but like my past, that the, you know, I have to acknowledge the people that have inspired me to be able to build a practice, you know. And so I want to ca- I want to just like reach out to uh, Anna Halprin who rests in peace she's she's passed away last year she's an incredible dance postmodern dance artist from California died at 100 years old Neil Cage Denise Kenny these are all our art- devised theater artists that I've I've been I've had the fortune of working with uh, Amy Henderson, who's out in Toronto, and these are all people that have, have sort of influenced my practice. Joan Fialho in Portugal, and I'm curious about this: these questions of emergence, emergence, the unknowing. Sometimes, as artists, we've been trained to think that we have a vision that we have to like drive towards this vision. And I have my director's book, and it has all my blocking and cuts, and and then I have to like get people there. You know, And the reality is that we actually have to be in a state of unknowing. And I think that's the most queerest thing you can do. The most queerest thing you can do is to unknow what the world has made you think you have to become. And that you have to be, you know, straight passing. You have to fit to your biological gender. You have to dress a certain way. And that all gay experience somehow is the same. Call out to white gay men, all right? Like to my other fellow gay white men out there, you know, that there are other intersections of being gay, of being queer, right? So this unknowing and to be in a state of, of, uh, I'm going to pull out a a queer performance theorist, Jose Esteban Munoz who talks about this, like the the oncoming horizon, that that's actually what being queer is, that we are not in this state of getting to the horizon. It's that the horizon is coming to us and we have to adapt to whatever it's bringing. But as it's coming towards us, it has all the potential, infinite potential right there's no there's no just driving straight to the to what you think the horizon is going to be right so so this idea that that of of like what emerges in a creative process and how to be able to like create the right environment that you are not starting from a place of i know what i want but to allow things to be in a state of unknowing so that it emerges right and so The work that I've been doing is, yeah, returning to the body. The body for me is my number one tool is like starting with that and then voice can come and then imagination arises and then suddenly I'm doing something and then I put it, I have to get it out of me and so I have to draw and write or build something and then maybe in the making of that, I recognize, whoa, yeah, working with a marker is different than working with a crayon. What does that mean? as I start to like make a map of myself, you know, what images start to run. And then putting the like it's like a, a game of like ping pong back and forth. What I put out. I then put back in and then I put back out and then I put back in and then I put back out until it starts to sieve. And like, suddenly you arrive at something, something just goes poof and that's created. That's creativity. That's the state I'm trying to figure out in terms of my process. And we did that with, with Jacob. Mm-hmm.
1: It sounds like you are certainly on your way. I imagine that there's this wonderful kind of cresting tide that just keeps you moving through this journey. But, uh, those are some really powerful and beautiful images that you shared that really I found really touching personally. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for that. You allowed myself and Daphne to witness your, your work, your mm-hmm. creation, Jacob. Uh, do you want to share anything about kind of where, where that brought you or, or what the, that was for you?
3: A lot of things came out of it, both in the performing, the afterwards, and then in the creating. I think I talked about this briefly, like right after we had finished, but I, there's like the conscious things that we do or like we're cognizant of what we're doing. We know exactly what we're doing. I am working, I am making theater. Look at me experimenting with how to make coffee, how to <laughs> do this. Oh, I am writing a script. I am now recording the script, but there's also this really beautiful thing that I didn't realize um, in kind of that unconscious creation um, in just living for context um, on the piece that I'd created. It was basically me coming home from work. Hmm. It was me. I was explaining this to someone yesterday. Actually, they were like, "They were like, what did you do?" And I was like, "I lived for ten minutes, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I had to do. Is I just lived my life. It was a little bit heightened because theater, but I I just lived my life. So I, I came home and I made coffee, danced, and I got more comfortable. And I there's a lot that yeah I realized about like the way that we create and we learn through our day. Like just thinking about the path that I take to work, how I hold myself when I'm at work, how many different characters I'm playing. Hmm. Um, I work for context. I work as a bartender I serve. Um, I've also been a manager at this restaurant and as part of my queer experience, I've also had to learn kind of how to mask in certain situations to be able to get by, to get what I want to survive almost in a way, to thrive. So throughout a day, I'll take on like, I'll be myself with my coworkers and a couple tables when straight dudes coming from their big blue collar jobs come in. What's up, guys? How are you doing? How is the wife? Good to see you. (laughs) Ah, you can drink on a Thursday. Great to see you. And then the little old ladies come in. I'm like, hello, it's so good to see you. Oh, my gosh. Ha, 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 ha. And you're a little more softer. And that one's kind of fun to do. I leave work and I get on the bus and I go home. And the second my jacket comes off, it's like all these characters are off. I'm in my natural clothes. There's a big, there's actually a big part of my day of like changing at work. Like just putting on my street clothes. That's super transformative and really, really quite fun to live in. In like a tiny, like two foot by one foot staff bathroom. (laughs) So yeah, and like a lot of things that I didn't realize when I was writing, I didn't realize that it was like a survival method for me. And I didn't realize that it was, it was like a necessary thing for me to do in my current situation that sucks, but thankfully I'm good at it, Hmm. I guess. So I can make money and live. And then I'm sitting there. And then after I like, I laid down and I was like, why do I have to do this to myself? (laughs) But there's, it's, it's intellectually it's kind of fulfilling cuz you
1: do get to see like
3: how do how do all those minds work and how do how do they take in
1: that. It's interesting some of the thoughts that you shared really remind me of mm-hmm. this workshop that I took on drama therapy mm-hmm. which talked a lot about the roles that we play in our lives and how uh, those things can affect us and how often when those things come out of balance, that's when we go through really difficult times. And so it just it just made me think about kind of about about your piece and about mm-hmm. how some of the stuff that Kevin was sharing as well about how creating art doesn't necessarily have to be for performance, but it can be for society, for, a person. And so I was just wondering if maybe uh, either of you, maybe we'll start with Kevin, have any thoughts to share about that? Because I feel that even in my own practice, mm-hmm. that when I'm making art that's most meaningful to myself, there is a form of sort of therapy yeah. that happens. There is a, a sort of transformation or at least a, a revelation mm-hmm. of self that can happen when you're doing really great work.
0: I'll take us back to the modernist period of, of <laughs> where, where somehow funding probably and government systems and policy also probably had a lot to do with women going back to work or women start starting to do more work, work met with the men were mostly engaged with. There was a, a riff of like separating arts from culture that it became arts and culture. And suddenly we had to have these institutions that you went to to do to consume art and that you had to buy art not realizing that around us everything had to be made everything still has to be made and designed and created you know and that in times of covid guess who brings us together you know it's the artists you know when you're around a campfire singing that's not art <laughs> we we want to think that art is this thing that is like ooh look it's so like you're an artist <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. But the reality is, like, we've been brainwashed to think that, that, like, I mean, I want to I just say in the same sentence that, like, we need to value artists, but we also need to make everyone th- remember that they are artists.
1: Yeah. Ooh.
0: That the word creation is not just about making babies. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it's actually about you know, that we create the power to create. And so, yeah, and I, I think that we now live in a state where art is only for a few. Only 1% are successful. If you're going down the road of being an artist, God help you. <laughs> and I also think that artists have been brainwashed to think that the only form of success for art is to produce in institutions. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I want to challenge anyone listening to this to like radically challenge that. Make work that does not fit into institutions. Make the institutions fit to you.
1: To circle back, I just want to give Jacob the opportunity to kind of answer that previous question. I talked a little bit about roles, and you had mentioned some of the roles that you sort of don when you go to work. I had the wonderful privilege of being (laughs) served by Jacob once. Your son's favorite restaurant. Yeah, my son's favorite (laughs) restaurant now. Anytime we're going to have a birthday party, my son always asks if we're going to go back to Jacob's restaurant. And actually, funny enough, that is where we went on my birthday. I went with uh, my twin brother. And we took uh, some of our kids, and our, oh one, of, one of each of our kids, our other kid had a different <laughs> birthday party to go to because, you know, September. But uh, I recall the incredible drink that Jacob made me. Oh, yeah. That was just stunning.
3: Empress 1908 gin is an incredible product. <laughs> and I will, I will speak its praises and also just the praises of like butterfly pea flower tea like in cocktails. It's so, oh. it's so fun.
0: Whoa, wait, <laughs> that sounds like some mad, like, did you go out to like the queer pixie forest? And, like, <laughs> hey,
3: have you ever, have you ever like had butterfly pea flower tea, like in anything? Have that
0: you... doesn't sound real. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's this incredible, it's this incredible tea. It's used a lot in infusions. Cause I, it has like a, it has like a, a floral flavor that goes really well with gin, goes really well with vodka. But the cool thing about it is it, it changes things colors to like this really awesome deep, Indigo, and it's like one of the best things visually, and also just like to market it to people in a restaurant. Oh yeah! Is you're like, watch what happens when I put lemon juice in it, <laughs> and then it turns this brilliant, bright pink, and everyone's like,
1: what? And you're like, I know, and it tastes good too. It was so delicious, yeah. and I was really heartbroken that I didn't have it the second time I went. But back to uh, <laughs> back to back to roles back to uh these different roles that that you might have to wear throughout your life and that that also can be things that come up and come out from from the work that you do. I'm just curious how you feel your sort of relationship with exploring yourself and and sort of this interesting mm. line that I don't know, I'm kind of projecting on the work, but yeah. you know, let me know if I'm absolutely full of garbage but you know this this almost therapeutic sort of thing that can happen when you do work that involves yourself that's yeah. really you know self-centered but like in a good way i mean first off like attention on me is always
3: fun and i love it <laughs> except when it comes to receiving gifts for whatever reason i can't receive gifts it's like it's a weird thing yeah when you look at like specifically looking at like roles like in the moment it's survival it's getting it's getting through the day it's trying to make sure that i make it home alive you know well i live in i live in like the middle of downtown winnipeg which has a reputation of being not the greatest but as a six foot five masculine appearing person even in like a long denim dress like I'm wearing today, <laughs> like I do have, I acknowledge that I do have like this privilege. But there always still is that like this privilege, that privilege of like um, like being able to just walk wherever I want. Hmm. But there is always that like looming, like this is not a place where people would like to see that because hmm. they have decided that these are the rules of the world and you do not follow them. You're following the rules of your own world and we don't like your world. But then when you kind of flip it and you look at it from an artistic lens and from making work, there's parts of it that are fun, because then you're like, oh, now I get to play the characters rather than like clock in um to my shift as this character. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like a chore anymore. It feels like, okay, now I get to I get to figure out where this has come from in my body. Where have I learned this? You know, in life. Um like where have I learned to relate to men? Where have I learned to um help people and, you know, show empathy? You know, where do I where do I learn these things? Where do they come from? And what what parts of my past will inform my future as a person and my future as an artist and my future as a person that sometimes I have to be just to make it through the day. So when you kind of look at it through those three different lenses, it's a lot of, there's a lot of really interesting and delicious, but also like really scary kind of play in there. But it's, I think it's necessary to kind of unpack that both as a person and as like a queer person. There's been, I'm like specifically to like thinking about like a lot of times that like I've experienced like internalized homophobia and internalized transphobia and kind of like where does that come from how can i move past that and how can i transform that into something empowering and reclaim that space for myself and help others reclaim a space that they might need
1: yeah yeah those are really uh, wonderful and important questions to ask yourself because you know creating uh creating anything and also just when you're given space and time Mm -hmm. it's a it's an opportunity to look deeply within and find uh find ways to address parts of yourself that might not always be the most comfortable parts of yourself Mm -hmm. or the parts that you might not love the most, <laughs> um, but but that might need some love from you yeah. and that might need some understanding and 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 some deep introspection, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's such a i don't know it's such a gift to be able to take that, yeah. And create and share it, you, you know you set the parameters for mm-hmm. your work, but I think it also offers an opportunity for things like what what Kevin was saying earlier of you know, um, maybe some younger queer artists who don't understand or who have who are still grappling with some of the stuff that oh, yeah. that you might be grappling with, being able to see that and understand that that work is happening. yeah that that that, that is a lived experience that is shared between people that's a powerful thing. Oh yeah. It never ends. Like you're always learning about yourself. You're
3: always They say you're always coming out, which I think is <laughs> which I have a very I have a very complicated relationship to that idea. But it is true and like you're always like at first coming out to yourself and thinking, you know, okay, this is the person I am. But then you kind of look at, okay, how do I how do I come out to others? Is that through like an oral dictation or is that just through living? Hmm. Which is something that I really try to revel in is like just living. Like this is who I am. And I don't, I don't want to, and I don't feel a need to kind of like make some big declaration. Sometimes big declarations are really fun and (laughs) are very necessary. And it's also just fun to shout from mountaintops, but yeah, like, Sometimes like just living and just wallowing in the uncomfortable and wallowing in the unknown. Um, because you were and you were talking about this earlier too, Kevin, like this unknowing. Like sometimes you just need to wallow in that and then you come through it. And then all of a sudden, like everything is still clear. And learning how to learn how to do that is
1: is a really exciting idea. That's a really uh touching point. This idea of I don't know, coming out mm-hmm. from my very limited understanding, in my mind, I always think of a verbal exchange yeah. when it comes to that that action. Mm-hmm. But describing it in in a way of just being. Yeah. That's so powerful just and being. really interesting.
3: Just being and like breaking breaking these rules society has and just like walking into a room and just like presenting however you want is a hundred percent a way I think to come out.
0: I I've often thought about that too, Jacob, you know, like this idea of the constant coming out, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I just, I just owe it so much to younger generations, frankly, to like <laughs> remind me that, cause I just, I, I love the brashness. I love the sort of like unapologetic, Like we are queer of like this, uh, this coming generation, you know, like generations that had gay straight alliances in their schools, you know, like I didn't have that. We generally use the term of like coming out. Mm I just, I love that your, your offering there of just walking into a room and just unapologetically being you actually invites people in. You know, it's not like, why is it that we have to come out? Hmm. Like, Hmm. why is it that gay gay and queer trans folks have to come out? In actual fact, we should be letting in, you know, and um, only if we want, of course, only those who we want. The system really does force me to act a certain way. And I don't want to, but then somehow there's a voice inside my head telling me I should. And then I hear Jacob speak. I'm like, no, I shouldn't act like that. You know, like, (laughs) I really should just like be who I want to be on that day.
1: You know, Kevin and I are of similar age, have had similar training at the beginning uh, of our, you know, formation as theater artists. And I just feel such commonality with what you're saying about how how inspiring and wonderful it is to work with younger artists, with artists who didn't necessarily grow up with the sort of, some of the structure and some of the like blocks that we had. I, I just, again, it's, it's such a huge piece of why I value the time that I get with the, the participants in our program so much, because it really uh, inspires and challenges in a way that's really refreshing and fun and gives me so much hope for the future. <laughs> like, otherwise I'd be so sad and so upset all the time. <laughs> It's an amazing and powerful thing. So, to keep moving things along, I, I'm wondering how do you envision yourself moving forward now that we've come to the conclusion of this yeah. small piece of this mentorship? Mm-hmm. Not to say that you know this relationship is a beautiful thing that's that's you know gotten a, a new level. You know, you oh, started yeah. with this like cool playwright that i kind of got to know and now you've got to know kevin on a much more personal level and how do you envision yourself moving forward in your practice in your work i feel freer in my toolbox
3: to create everything that kevin has given me has been just an incredible gift and an incredible treat that i will like a hundred percent cherish forever but it's it's so freeing to know that you can just that like a, a script can just be a drawing you know it like you can score something out just in visuals and just or start from there or even just start from like a little a little tiny seed and then watch that grow. And so I envision I envision myself just being less scared to just try whatever feels right, whatever feels satisfying to my soul, whatever feels satisfying to my head mentally. And then just seeing what that looks like out in the world, whether that be on a stage, in the middle of a gallery, on the sidewalk, over Zoom. I also, this is the first time I've ever liked using Zoom. Like getting to like getting to do like a two camera setup where like one camera is me and one camera is like coffee being brewed or like a view of like the street behind my apartment. Mm-hmm. Was I was like, okay, this is how we, this is how Zoom can be used. Okay, now this makes sense. We don't just have to sit here, maybe wearing pants, kind of listening in, turning off the camera when we're. For context, I believe we're all wearing pants, anyways. Uh, but pants, needs <laughs> them. I'm wearing
1: audio pants.
3: <laughs> I was like, yeah, like we're not just disengaging whenever we don't want to, and just saying, oh, sorry, my computer isn't working right now. You know, like I finally like finally having that tool to engage with and looking at that both now from a physical sense and a multimedia sense is really quite incredible. So I just I feel I feel freer to experiment and I feel freer to feel and I feel freer to absorb the world into my body and to
1: digest whatever comes my way. Thanks, Jacob. That's wonderful. Uh, Kevin, same question. How do you feel? How do you envision yourself moving forward after this mentorship? I know you're heading into some some deep waters, going back to back to school in in mm-hmm. uh, British Columbia.
0: I think I, I'll return back to this sense of unknowing. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine uh, lines between me and Jacob passing notes somehow, updates, if you will. You know, and making sure that that relationship stays afloat and beyond that, moreover, like just relationships in general that like, you know, Simon, you and I uh, having a 20 year relationship that we can still, we can connect, like we can reconnect like this, you know, that there's, I think there's thinking about my relationships in my life and people who have been in my corner uh, and that I can be in their corner also for them hearing jacob speak about their relationship to their own body and just how you know listening to their what their body wants to actually compel to do as opposed to what the exterior world is telling me to do it it reminds me to remember my body and to put my body first and to be authentic to what it needs and what it wants uh and to trust that Even if I don't know what the work it will be, if I lean into my body and explore through the body, it'll tell me.
1: We talked about mentorship and how, you know, mentorship wasn't always or felt like it wasn't always available. I feel like mentorship definitely was less available (laughs) when when we were younger and suddenly like everything's about mentorship now. Everybody's got a mentorship program. Um, and so I'm just curious, uh, if either or both of you have thoughts about that in general, like what is, uh, what does that mean for you slash what do you hope for Mm. future mentorship? It reminds me a lot of just like this idea of
3: like giving and taking, you know, from both the mentor and the mentee, whether that be, you know, two people in a space, two people over zoom. Or whether that be like one person and their environment and how do we, how do we learn from our environment and how do we learn from the people that we let in, but also how do we, how do we give back to our environment and give back to the natural world and the human world,
1: um, is what that reminds me of a lot. Awesome. Kevin, do you have any comments?
0: It sucks that it takes money to make mentorship happen. (laughs) Um, i'm certainly grateful i also think of back to like the era of apprenticeship and like you know that it was it was a relational exchange that just for generations to come the capital the financial value isn't actually what's important here the 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 relationship is and seven generations from now do you mean like generations and generations of queer people who will who will jacob be mentoring when they're 40 Mm mm-hmm You know, like that's that's who I'm thinking about that that doesn't have to come with cost.
1: Yeah. You never know who might answer uh, if you're just willing to reach out to find Mm -hmm. somebody uh, to just connect because mentorship can uh, happen through an institution, which, you know, I acknowledge that we are. We're a very small, tiny little institution, but but we are. The idea of mentorship can exist through that, but it also can exist through a cup of coffee and a really good conversation. Mm-hmm. And that um, I always encourage people to try that out, to reach out, to to meet other people. And I think that you know, Kevin, you bring up a really great point that that like art, like that, the that we're all capable of these things. We're all capable of of mentorship. Jacob is capable of mentorship right now. If there's somebody mm-hmm. who looks at Jacob and thinks, wow, there's some cool shit going on there. I want to know this person. Mentorship can, can take many different faces. And I think that if we're, as long as we're willing to be flexible with the parameters and, and keep ourselves safe within what we're willing to do and the time commitments that we have and, you know, our own boundaries that uh, one way or the other, building those relationships with other artists mm-hmm. is it's very fruitful.
0: I challenge anyone that's listening to to listen to what Simon just said. We have lost mentorship. This is society doesn't have that anymore, and so it takes policy and grants to start to go. Okay, organizations build a, a, a build a, a mentorship program. Do you know what I mean? But I really do challenge anyone to listen to this, no matter how old you are, to you know reach out to one other artist that you're inspired by and like you know ask them to go for a cup of coffee. Um, buy them a cup, cup, cup of coffee if you can, you know, and or go for a walk if you need it to be cheap and free. It's also up to those elders to not think about the money. I, I'm included too. Like, I have to remember this myself. I'm, I'm, I'm implicit in this whole problem. You know, you have to think, we have to think about like giving back to the future generation that's coming. Right. And if it just takes an hour of your time to like connect with someone, just do it. Or bring them into a rehearsal just for them to watch. Or, you know, like have them come to your studio if you're a visual artist, or invite them to your opening night and like let them shadow you and introduce them to people. Do you mean so like simple things like that that don't really take that much, but you you welcome them into your circle somehow a little bit more.
1: It's such an empowering thing. And I think that it can take very little. And I think that the important thing is to understand that there is more value. Like you said earlier, Kevin, there is so much more value than the financial part of it. Mm -hmm. One way or the other, there's a lot of value on both sides. There's a lot you can learn as a mentor working with somebody who comes from a different point of view than you do and might kind of shatter some of your preconceived notions about, about the world, about yourself or about art in general. Mm
2: hmm. And on that note, thank you to the Canada Council for the Arts for giving us money. <laughs> hey,
1: hey. <laughs>
2: thank you to them. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank you everybody for doing this. Mm-hmm. What any plugs, any shout-outs, anything you have coming up next that you want people to know about if you're on social media?
3: I'm feeling very grateful both to you Simon and Daphne and to Kevin and also just to like every everyone that's like been before Kevin as well that's taught Kevin that led me to this moment. And I'm just kind of now thinking of this history that's led to this point. And I'm just thinking how how grateful I am for these people that I'll never meet that kind of in a way trickled down to this, which is a really interesting thing to think about. And I'm really excited to sit with it and think about it tonight. I'm just I'm very grateful to everyone involved. Thank you so much for this.
1: Well, we're uh, grateful that uh, you had interest in our quirky little crazy ideas because, uh, you know, having good ideas is fun, but uh, it only really works when people invest in them. Yeah. And that investment is not only, again, financial, it's an investment of time and it's an investment of really understanding uh, some of the motivations of what what we're trying to do and how we're trying to make a, a positive impact in, in mm-hmm. the community. And I think that, I don't know, I'll go out on a, on a wild and crazy limb and say that we maybe just did, which is a really uh, humbling and uh, thing that I'm really grateful for. Mm-hmm. Kevin, do you have any final remarks or anything that, uh, you, you, uh, that we haven't uh, had the opportunity to touch on yet?
0: I leave space for all the potential, for all the queers, past, present, and future, thank you thank you daphne and simon for for making this relationship happen and uh jacob i when you said that there was um there were a lot of emotions that you that that like surfaced my heart started to sing when you said when you said like all the all my ancestors too so
1: well on that uh this uh podcast is called it takes two uh, we'll have uh, some more episodes coming uh, in a couple weeks. But again, a big thank you to Canada Council for uh, the funding they uh, provided us for our digital studio and uh, the Village Conservatory for Council. Music. There. Canada Council! Thank, thank you, Council. Canada Council! Canada Council! <laughs> The Village Conservatory for Music Theater has uh, several other podcasts that we're producing, uh, Monkeys and Playbills.
2: So the narrative podcast is called uh, Tales of the Great Transfiguration by local playwright and producer Ben Townsley. It's about um, a cataclysmic event where human beings were transformed into inanimate objects. The next pair that we have on this podcast are our very own Jillian Willems and Sam Hutchings. We're going to be talking about dance and choreography as it relates to their artistic practice, which is super cool.
1: Thanks, Daphne, for actually knowing what's going on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's my job. Hey, Simon, where can people learn more about Jacob? And I.
3: You can find me on Instagram um, under the underscore tall n curly. That's T A L L, the letter n curly. My favorite internet handle I have ever come up with.
0: You can find me at uh, either through my website at www.kevinjesusino. Dot com. That's kevendeswino.com or at uh, Kevin Giswino on all the social media places.
1: Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, uh, both of you, for participating in this project. And it's been a real treat to be able to spend this time to uh, reconnect and uh, mm-hmm. get to know a little bit more about uh, what you've been doing over the last month. And uh, I'm really excited to hear and see all the wonderful things that you come up with next. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. It takes two.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of It Takes Two. Our guests today were Kevin Giswino and Jacob Jansen, and this episode was hosted by Simon Miron. For the Vic Digital Studio, I'm Daphne Finlayson, your friendly neighborhood producer and editor. Music for this show is provided by Paul DeGers, with clips used from Steven Sondheim's Into the Woods. The Village Conservatory gratefully acknowledges the support of the Canada Council for the Arts in making this podcast possible. For more on this podcast and other offerings from the Vic, visit us at villageconservatory.com or follow us on social media at Village Conservatory.